What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I'm Inc. Executive Editor Diana Ransom, and you are listening to Inc. Uncensored. Today's episode, Psychedelics and Leadership. Over the years, the use of psychedelics, specifically psilocybin and LSD, has become more mainstream in discussions of mental health. While it is still premature to say anything definitive, there have been more studies, research, and experimentation done. But the discussion has not stopped at mental health. Some in the business community have been touting the benefits of psychedelics and leadership development. One such advocate talked to us about his point of view. I'm Paul Austin, the founder of Third Wave, an educational platform about the intentional use of psychedelics. Paul's company, Third Wave, is one of the more public faces of the so-called psychedelic renaissance. Now, if this all sounds a bit new age to you, you aren't wrong. So we all decided to invite one of the biggest names in the new age movement to join our conversation. I'm Deepak Chopra. I'm still trying to figure out what I'll do when I grow up. Some people call me a witch doctor, although I'm an internist as well and the author of several books. Deepak and Paul join myself and former Inc. Editor-in-Chief Scott Omlianik to discuss psychedelics and leadership. The conversation was wide-ranging, exceptionally wide-ranging. You'll hear Paul talk about the results they are seeing at Third Wave, and you'll hear Deepak talk about the very nature of perception. I started by asking Paul where his journey began with psychedelics. So my path with psychedelics started at the age of 19 uh, with LSD in nature, and they were very transformative experiences where I was able to tap into this sense of interconnectedness with everything around me. And from that opening experience, I began to meditate. I began to really become a seeker of consciousness and, and exploration. And you know, we're now at this stage in time where psychedelics are experiencing a resurgence of interest. Uh, 65% of Americans support legal psychedelic-assisted therapy. Oregon and Colorado have legalized psilocybin mushrooms, and they are looking to be incredibly important substances for mental health. But more interestingly for, for me, incredible substances for consciousness exploration, for growth and development, and for really envisioning what a new tomorrow could look like. And before that, what was your relationship to mental health? You know, I'd been raised in a pretty religious family, so I struggled with a lot of guilt and shame coming into my psychedelic work. And so when I started to work with psychedelics, it really just helped me to come into this concept of there's nothing wrong with me. The essence of who I am is perfect. And the context environment in which I grew up in is, you know, there's a lot of challenges with it. And so it really helped me to experience self-love. Um, it really helped me to reframe my relationship with nature, with family, with community that gave me the courage to live a pretty unconventional 20s and, and early 30s now. Deepak, I wonder if you could talk about your own experience with psychedelics. You've been quoted as discussing it as something called like basically an awareness without boundaries. What is that? My experience was when I was 18 or 19 in medical school in India, where there was a Harvard 
medical school study. We were all given LSD. There was a control group as well. I happened to be in the experimental group. And I was uh, looking at a poster of uh, Mother Teresa kissing children with leprosy. Uh, now, rumor had it in India, the local lore was that when Mother Teresa uh, licked the wounds of children with leprosy, uh, they would somehow get healed, which was medically not something that we could document. Although there were studies published at that time and later that when people watched Mother Teresa licking wounds, their IgE levels went up. IgE is an antibody in the bloodstream, but also in our saliva. So you saw this poster of Mother Teresa? I was, yeah, and for eight hours, I was filled with compassion and a desire to alleviate suffering. And I thought, now I'm in medical school, I will, you know, use this knowledge to help my patients. So that really actually helped set you on a course that might have moved from it place to place. It set me on but... a course, but then when I came to the United States, um, uh, immediately after medical school, uh, I got caught up in residency, fellowship, never thought about it till I was fed up with myself being um, a doctor and being stressed and smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol. I remember actually resuscitating a patient, putting him on an intubator, pacemaker and going out of the hospital to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> and then, then, you know, I was filled not with shame, but with disgust. <laughs> and I threw the cigarette away and I never touched alcohol or cigarettes after that. Where do you think the potential of psilocybin and psychedelics generally is? Where are we going from here? When we experience these states, these frequencies of non-duality, of awareness beyond borders, implants a certain state in our consciousness that we understand as fundamentally true. And so there's an aspect of uh, specifically psilocybin when it comes to leadership development, that when we as leaders experience the universe as infinite, then we realize that the possibilities of creation are endless. And so when we all of a sudden can expand into that infinite possibilities, then we can lead from a place that's visionary. We can lead from a place that is compelling. We can lead from a place that is beyond our conditioning in current industrial society. To ground this a little bit, when we're talking about in Silicon Valley, how folks like Steve Jobs or now Elon Musk or Sergey Brin are, are using psychedelics, it's helping them to essentially see beyond what anyone thought was possible into a new paradigm that is actually rooted in the particulars of what Deepak was talking about. Right, it removes sort of like the predictive nature of our brain, like as well as our ego, and, and lets us move into those other places that aren't quite as obvious, I suppose. You know, what I'm very inspired by is there's a phenomenal author, Ken Wilber. And Ken talks about how in the Renaissance, the original Renaissance, that when the printing press was invented, it wasn't that everyone had to learn to read to create the new systems of universities and, and education. It was only these sort of 10%, the mercantile class, that had to learn and become literate, and then they created all the systems necessary to bring literacy and understanding to the rest of the world. And I think the opportunity with psychedelics and psilocybin within a leadership context is how do we sort of up-level the consciousness of the leaders, builders, and creators of tomorrow with this ancient intelligence so they can go out and actually build the new systems that are rooted in this fundamental truth of reality that they're experiencing. And so the more 
that external reality matches internal reality, the more harmonious that we can live. And I think the more capacity that we have as a species to be in community, to take care of ourselves, to experience not just sort of the mundane reality of everyday existence, but actually experience the full capacity of what it means to live in a human body and have a human existence. Why do we feel so separate from it? then all the time? It's uh, cultural conditioning and social conditioning, unfortunately, even religious conditioning. So cultural conditioning, social conditioning, it's the hypnosis of social conditioning. Paul, what is the most uh, standout experience that you've seen or someone's shared with you in the podcast that goes against all that conditioning, a transformation or metamorphosis that you've seen that has been really profound that you've taken to heart? There's this concept of first principles, right, in engineering or, or science. And I think when it comes to uh, healing and transformation, the first principle is the deconditioning principle. And that psychedelics facilitate that better than almost any other modality that is out there. It's why, for example, in the, in the 60s, a lot of the early meditation teachers, you know, Jack Kornfield and Sharon Salzberg and, uh, you know, Deepak mentioned his own experience, they were first opened up through these really meaningful and beautiful psychedelic experiences. They were deconditioned from the, the sort of social construct that we're born into, and that allowed them to then speak from a place of direct experience and knowing. So, so in terms of experiences, yeah, I, I can speak best about my own experience, which when I started to work with psychedelics at the age of, of 19, it put me into this sort of primordial, back in touch with this sort of primordial wisdom, the wisdom of what it was to be human before uh, language, before literacy, before the mind really became prominent. So there's become more and more talk lately about the importance of honoring indigenous wisdom. You know, the, the aboriginals are a great example. And the aboriginals, which are the longest uh, standing group of people in the world, 180,000 years the aboriginals have been around, they had this concept called dream time, where they would essentially dream the world into existence again and again. And so when we go through the deconditioning process, all of a sudden we're able to step into that dream time, uh, that capacity to really dream or imagine what this new future looks like, that's not always easy, right? So for someone who's a CEO or for someone who works in a corporate environment or for someone who, you know, is a medical doctor and they go through a, a psychedelic experience, they have a deconditioning process, it can be very destabilizing. So even what we talk about in our, in our training program, because we train a number of practitioners, doctors and clinicians and coaches, we say when you're working with clients, when they have this high dose, especially the high dose mystical experience, you really need to hold them carefully for the month after that experience. Because there are a lot of people who come out of that experience going, I'm going to divorce my wife, I'm going to quit my job, I'm going to leave my home. And that destabilization can actually be more harmful than stepping out of the initial conditioning. And so whenever going through that process, it's important that someone feels held, that there's integration around that process, because once they're opened up, they really need to know, okay, I've had all these insights and all these downloads. How do I now integrate this into the rest of my life without totally cutting me off from my family and my job and my income and all these other things. And so I think, you know, we've been talking in a very esoteric way for this podcast, but I think fundamentally psychedelics are beneficial, but that doesn't mean it's easy, you know, and that working with these substances requires a level of courage. It requires a willingness to be initiated into a mode of reality that is fundamentally different than anything we've ever experienced in normal everyday life. You know, I can't 
imagine uh, doing psilocybin, and I've done psilocybin therapy. I cannot imagine doing it without a therapist, right? Like be, be exactly because of what you're saying. Deepak, the thing I want to ask you is, because you've you've been involved in some of the pharmaceuticalization, if we can use that word, of psychedelics, should we be concerned that the power of these medicines are available in a pill form in a way that, or could become available in a pill form, I should say, and don't necessarily come with the integration or the person to guide you on, on the other side? And how do we make sure that Yeah, that so you, what Paul just described is the anxiety that can come from deconditioning is uh, in spiritual traditions it's called the dark night of the soul you asked also about separation and so in the bigger picture there's no separation as we know but there is differentiation so separation and differentiation are two separate things to give you an example when you first came into existence as a fertilized egg that was one cell. It divided 50 times and then it became everything. Your nose, your eyes, your hair follicles, your genitalia, your brain. So that's differentiation. It's not separation. In fact, a cancer cell, theoretically, is a separate self. It has lost its memory. It's forgotten to die. A cancer cell is the loss of the memory of death. Your skin cells die every month. So your skin can remain supple. If that didn't happen, you would be like a frozen anatomical structure. So birth and death are not opposites. They are entangled in a unified field of consciousness. And separation is a misnomer. But you can have that experience of feeling because you've been so conditioned to be separate that you can go into a panic because you start to lose your frozen identity because there is no fixed identity. So when you feel that, you panic until you cross the abyss into unity consciousness. That's why it's important to do these things under supervision with people who know what's happening. And as Paul said, you can, can hold your hand, literally, metaphorically, but literally too. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I would say in a very less articulate way, a lot of what Paul and Deepak <laughs> have talked about today. But there's good and bad, right? Yeah, I mean, right. I embarked on psychedelic therapy because I couldn't figure out in traditional therapies how to erase a lot of early childhood trauma, right? I grew up with a violently alcoholic father who was also, uh, you know, quite emotionally abusive. And I got far, but not far enough. So for me, what had happened was this reduction of ego in my first therapy uh, trip, uh, the first journey I took, a remarkable reduction of ego. No offense, Diana, but I can remember seeing all the people who I worked with, watching them to reduce to little tiny specks <laughs> and blowing them away, right? Right? And no, no offense, oh, nice. but but what what that what happened in in that moment was that I, I was recognizing all of the things you think are important, all of the insults that feel insulting, all of the problems you think you have aren't really there, mm -hmm. right? They, we construct them. I also recognized I would be able to interact with people better, have greater 
gratitude for others if I was a little more forgiving of myself, right? And that, that was just my first experience, but for me, it was fairly transformational. And I would say I was able to achieve in that day and the integration after, which you know I'm a huge proponent of. I think it's absolutely necessary. What could have taken five or eight years of, of talk therapy, I felt. I, was the pain really there? Was it not? You had a suggestion of what it was, that it was ancestral trauma even that you could be carrying? Yeah, uh, the history of humanity is the history of trauma. When you read history, that's all you read. Wars, <laughs> battle of this and battle of that, right from hunter-gatherer to now. Trauma is uh, we inherit it as our genes. Our genes are the memory of experience, basically, and their epigenetic activity is more immediate. So you, if you say, where are your ancestors? They're in every cell of your body right now. In fact, you can't even move your hand without the help of your ancestors. Do anything. So that's genetic activity. And then there's epigenetic activity, which is more recent. Your parents, your possibly your inter-uterine life, your childhood. There's enough evidence to show that. Now, Holocaust victims, three generations later, they have diabetes, metabolic syndrome, etc. And all the conflict in the world now is going to create diseases for several generations. A friend of mine, Rudy Tanzi, he says he has a house in Hawaii where there's a cow farm where there used to be an electrical fence, but the fence no longer exists. The cows will not cross this invisible boundary, okay, because they're afraid. The genetic and epigenetic memory is there. So this has huge implications. The pain you experience is actually a good thing because it's the release of that coagulated stress in your cells. I think a lot of things that are preventing entrepreneurs or just people, wider spread adoption in general, is the idea of like losing control, you know, and especially for founders of companies, this concept of a loss of control. So when you're talking about psychedelics and, you know, kind of like disassociative, you know, experiences, how do you sort of rationalize this experience with those kinds of people? Well, I think the, the capacity to navigate uncertainty is a hallmark of good leadership, especially and in creativity. And creativity, especially in, in today's time. So this this ability to go out into the abyss or into this liminal space. When leaders can spend time in places of liminality where they don't have the answers, they don't know what's next, and they can still self-regulate, they can still regulate their nervous system, they can still regulate their capacity to show up and be attentive and be present, then any challenge or obstacle or difficulty that may arise in a normal everyday situation, they've gone through a training ground where they can much more easily navigate that because their nervous system has been regulated to such a degree that they aren't reacting to it. And so that capacity to stay centered and stay present, even in the midst of turbulence and difficulty and challenge, I think is central to really good leadership. Psychedelics are a great tool to teach that because when you work with ayahuasca or psilocybin or LSD or even something like ketamine, and you go out into this landscape where you are not in control, any longer. There is something that's much greater than you that you realize requires a surrender to. Then I think that teaching is, is helpful. Now, with that being said, that doesn't mean that you have to live your whole life surrendering, surrendering, surrendering. There is always a middle way. And so sometimes life calls for being proactive and leading from the front and taking on challenges. And other times life calls for surrendering and leading from the back and stewarding, right? So much of business today is so focused on short-term incentives. You know, 
what's the next quarter look like? What's the next year look like? What's the next, you know, we talk about hockey stick growth. How do I exit in seven years? I think a really great way to think about business is not seven years, but seven generations. So how am I working on a mission? How am I working on something that's going to be impactful, not just next year, but seven generations from now and really stewarding a future that is looking at how do we, how do we grow this organically, get people behind a mission that they believe in. And that then requires this letting go because this ruminative mind that keeps going and going and going, oftentimes we get in our own way more than anything else. And so when we have this experience, we're able to go, oh, these are all the ways in which I'm blocking myself, I'm preventing myself, I'm a poor leader, I'm not showing up the way that I need to do. And we can then take those insights and downloads and we can integrate them to improve and get better. And so it's almost like sometimes to go forward, you have to first go back. There's now a topic that is very much part of social science. It's called emergence, fundamental creativity, something emerges that never existed before. To have emergence, you need leadership, which encompasses shared vision, maximum diversity in all fields, technology, education, literacy, etc., complementing each other's strengths and having an emotional and spiritual bond. If you have those ingredients, creativity is way enhanced. And that should be the new leadership model in my view, because, you know, people like Einstein or Beethoven or Mozart emerge once in a rare blue moon. Uh, Our collective creativity right now is very important if we want to handle problems like uh, climate change or war or terrorism or social and economic disparities or health or mental illness. We need emergence into a new paradigm. And the model that's best is your own body. Your body cells are differentiated, but they support each other. You know, that's the shared vision is to be healthy. Something is regulating that, whatever we call it, consciousness, fundamental reality, unified field, quantum field, doesn't matter. But there is a shared vision in the body to be healthy. The cells have different strengths and the best leadership would be that which actually mirrors what's happening in nature. So, Paul, you talk about needing a guide to go through these experiences. Are you, in a way, making the case for microdosing instead of psychedelics in a a more traditional sense? So we have a training program for, like I mentioned, executive coaches, health and wellness coaches, doctors, clinicians. And so we train them on what I call the, the skill of psychedelics, that this is composed of How do we work with high doses to facilitate these mystical or spiritual experiences? What's the utility of low doses or microdosing that you might use maybe once a week uh, as part of a therapeutic session? Or you might use once a month as a way to just sort of tap back into that high dose experience. And then we have uh, what I would call our non-psychedelic modalities. So how are you integrating meditation every day or breath work or yoga or things like sauna and cold plunge? You know, if, if, if we're to zoom out a little bit and go, okay, there's 8 billion people in the world. Should every person be working with a high dose of a psychedelic? Absolutely not. You know, okay, there's 400 million or so people in the United States. Should everybody be working with a high dose of a psychedelic? Absolutely not. And there's many reasons for that. But could most people benefit from these low doses of psilocybin? I think there's the potential for that. Just like most people could benefit from taking fish oil, just like most people could benefit from taking other supplements. I think a low dose of a psychedelic, it's shown to be 
anti-inflammatories. So we know that from a physiological perspective, it's helping with that. We also know that even low dosing helps with the production of something called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is a precursor to neuroplasticity. So it's also helping with brain health. And that's not a coincidence. The brain and the gut are connected through the vagus nerve. And so when we heal the brain, we heal the gut. And when we heal the gut, we heal the brain. Again, back to the body-mind connection. And so I think microdosing, amplifying it as a way to start on this path, at times may require a coach or a guide, but that's usually in the beginning. Once someone starts to microdose and gets a sense of, oh, if I take about 200 milligrams of psilocybin, which is usually about the, the average microdose, I'm going to feel like this. Uh, or if I take 100 milligrams, or if I take 300 milligrams. And I think the caveat here is a lot of people who are interested in microdosing are on things like Prozac or Zoloft or Ritalin or Adderall, right? They're looking at how do I get off of these conventional psychiatric medications, which often come with a litany of side effects that are negative, to be on a medicine that is anti-addictive and that has a lot of potential benefits. And so for people who are in that camp, I always say you need the support and guidance of a medical professional because getting off of certain conventional psychiatric medications can be quite harrowing. And if you're working with something like a, like a microdose of a psychedelic, it's really important that you have medical professional support before you embark on that path. Deepak, I was hoping you could sort of give us a sense for where the psychedelics industry might be going from here. Well, I would caution that anyone out there who's doing it just for the money is not motivated in the right direction. So psychedelic right now has become uh, the gold rush for a lot of entrepreneurs. I would also say that uh, psychedelics will be useful for mental and physical disorders, for end-of-life care, for terminal lucidity, and for uh, expansion of our identity into a more universal domain of awareness, where there's more empathy, more compassion, more love, and more love in action, because action without love is meaningless, and love without action is irrelevant. And as a sort of closing question, what would be your best piece of advice for entrepreneurs who are sort of curious about this and where do they go for more information? So the third wave is an educational platform that I started in 2015 to educate the populace about the benefits and risks of psychedelics. Starting there is a really good place. We have a podcast, a psychedelic podcast. We've published a couple hundred episodes. Education is the first step. The second step, I think, is finding a great provider. So on third wave, we have a directory of vetted retreats clinics, coaches, and therapists that you can work with if you want to uh, engage uh, with this medicine in a responsible way. And then I think the third aspect is community, right? Uh, that once we have these experiences, how do we find like-minded people who are going through a similar process, especially as entrepreneurs, because it's becoming more commonplace, but it's still pioneering. And so I think the third thing is how do you connect with other people who are, who are walking a similar path? And I find it's becoming more prevalent, but that is often the most difficult aspect after we, we have an awakening is who do we talk to about this, especially as an entrepreneur? I should just say that Chopra Foundation, which is a nonprofit, we do facilitate psychedelic sessions along with a neuropsychiatrist who's credentialed, university, hospital appointed. We're seeing some great results. All right, excellent. And Scott, do you have any sort of closing thoughts on psychedelics and the potential for business? I am uh, by nature not an optimistic person, as you know, <laughs> right? But I think there's remarkable opportunity here. And my hope is that the people who are leading the charge 
are listening to people like Paul, listening to people like Deepak, because this is not the next cannabis opportunity, right? There's something much more fundamental, much more important, and much more precious for our future in it. Great. Well, excellent. Thank you both for your time. And thank you, Scott, as always. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of Inc. Uncensored. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. Also, if you liked this episode or have suggestions of what topics you'd like to hear about, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or reach out to us on Inc.'s social channels on LinkedIn, Instagram, and the app formerly known as Twitter. Inc. Uncensored is produced by Julia Shu, Blake Odom, and Avery Miles. Mix and sound design by Nicholas Torres. Our executive producer is Josh Christensen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.